When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. everyone and welcome to a Tuesday edition of the Orange to Brown Talk podcast. I'm Dan Lobby joined by Mary Kay Cabot and we had actual things to do today, Mary Kay. We were in Berea for the first time uh, officially this offseason, the Browns offseason program underway. We got to hear from a number of different people, Deshaun Watson, Miles Garrett, Amari Cooper, and Greg Newsome. We also heard from Kevin Stefanski. So a busy day um, and we're just going to go through each person that we heard from. So I mean, let's start with the biggest name. Let's start with Deshaun Watson, the the quarterback. Uh, said it felt like night and day coming into this season now. His second with the Browns and really his first real offseason because last offseason there was so much else going on. Uh, what, what did you think? What was your biggest takeaway from Deshaun Watson today? You know, I think it, it's really just that, that everything is different than it was at this time last year. This time last year, he was still facing uh, 24 civil suits. Uh, this time last year, he did not know how long he was going to be suspended for. He didn't know what to expect. He didn't know how he was going to be received by everyone in the building, by everyone in the community. He just, it was just a big series of unknowns. Everything was up in the air. And, uh, and I mean, he didn't know his way around or anything. Uh, now he's he's settled into his surroundings. He bought a house. He settled 23 of the civil suits. He served an 11 game suspension. He's undergone extensive uh, treatment for uh, what the NFL determined was sexual misconduct. Uh, he paid a five million dollar fine. So, you know, everything has changed uh, from this point last year. And uh, and, you know, he's just in a better headspace than he was and and he says he's healthy and I and I think that's important yeah I just think it's so significant for everybody involved that they are starting this offseason program and they know who their starting quarterback is going to be there's no questions about you know whether it's going to be Deshaun Watson or Jacoby Brissett or for how long you know obviously I think they knew it wasn't going to be Deshaun but you didn't know for how long last year and the other thing is he kind of got he kind of got the early stages of the football out of the way last year too. I think playing those six games was really valuable just to sort of knock the rust off and see, okay, just how far away am I from being the quarterback I was and like how much, what do I need to work on? How do I get this timing back? What, what did I lose in those, in that, you know, almost two years away from football? Um, I, I think that helps too, to just have a better grasp of sort of what he needs to do to get back up to speed. 
Yes, absolutely. Uh, not only did he learn a lot about the team, a lot about his teammates and what Kevin Stefanski and Alex Van Pelt have in mind for him, but they learned a lot of things about him too. So it was a two-way street. You know, they learned that they're going to have to call the game in a different, you know, in different ways. In some cases, I'm sure that they spent some of their offseason learning more about how to call a game for a dual threat quarterback like this and trying to figure out some of the things they wanted to do. Uh, they obviously have some three new pass catchers to work with. And I think that that was helpful for them and for Deshaun to see that, you know what, the talent here in the pass catching realm needs an upgrade. It needs some speed. It needs, you know, another tight end. And that's what they went out and did. They traded for Elijah Moore. They got Marquise Goodwin, the speedster, the vertical stretch guy. And then they got another big body kind of receiver at tight end in Jordan Akins, who also has some familiarity with Deshaun Watson. So all of these guys bring experience. Deshaun brought that up today. They have experience. They've done it before. He was working with a lot of young guys last year that didn't have a lot of experience. So I think that that will be a plus for him. He was also sort of the hub too of um, kind of the like where guys went to work out this off season, which they didn't really get to do last year. I mean, he did take him to the Bahamas after the trade, and uh, but but everything happened so quickly, and there was still so much uncertainty that they, they didn't have the opportunity to go into the off season just knowing. I mean, he wasn't even the quarterback last year until March, so I, I think you know once he kind of. I think you went to like Europe or something. I'm just judging off Instagram here. I think you went to Europe for a few weeks and then he was back in, in the U S and ever since then, he's sort of been the hub guys have sort of been in and out. He was saying, um, you know, of course we know Michael Woods and, and sort of how, how that all went down. He got hurt working out with Deshaun. Um, but other guys have sort of been in and out and, and able to sort of go to him and spend time working out with him. I thought, I thought that was kind of interesting the way he described it. Yeah, I mean, he's taking, you know, he's taking over that leadership role and he's taking it very seriously. And he tried to do it last year. He really tried to do it by, again, as you mentioned, taking the guys to the Bahamas, to the Bahamas and things like that. But it's really hard to assume complete control knowing that you are going to be stepping away for a chunk of time. Now, at this time last year, I don't think he thought it was going to be anywhere near 11 games. He probably thought it may, might be six, maybe four. Um, so, you know, he still felt like he was going to come back and have an opportunity to take this team to the playoffs. But now he can take full ownership of that offense and of this team and say, you know, here's what I'm going to do to get us where we need to be. And and he's really exhibiting those signs. And I think that's really vitally important. Um, the leadership of, of this offense and of this team, uh, it, it's something that's been a little lacking over the last how many ever years, really. Um, they need more guys that are willing to really step up and take the bull by the horns. And Deshaun is doing that this offseason. He'll continue to do that. He'll do it in the offseason program. He'll get guys rallying around him, each other. Uh, you know, he talked about in Houston, you know, guys would just kind of come over and hang out and then we'd go to dinner. Um, and he said, you know, then that translates over to here and you build on that chemistry and that camaraderie. I think he's one of those guys that gets people, uh, you know, close together like that. So um, I, I think that'll be good for them. And, and they, you know, guys know him now too. Like even last year, you know, I th I'm trying, the trip was in May last year, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, it was a weekend in May. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm thinking of a guy like Joel Batonio, who wasn't 
who didn't attend the the voluntary portions of, of the program last year on that Bahamas trip. That's probably the first time he met Deshaun Watson, you know, and I'm sure, you know, there were guys that were just meeting him for the first time on that trip or early in the off season for whenever it was just, just the, the fact that these guys kind of know each other and they've been around each other and spent time together before this off season. It just makes everything so much smoother. Yeah, I mean, you look at these other teams that have been around, you know, each other for a long, long time, and there is a, you know, more of a family feel or a camaraderie that you have, you know, th- some things are unspoken. I mean, you just get to know each other. Like when we used to see uh, Jacoby Brissett bopping around with Anthony Walker, I mean, there's just a closeness there that, you know, this team doesn't necessarily have because there's been so much change. There's been so much turnover. And now I do think that uh, Deshaun, it, you know, having played those last six games last year, is starting to get guys, you know, kind of on his side, under his wing. I know that you can see that Amari Cooper really, really wants to be close to him. That's why he's here in the offseason program, even though he's coming off. We'll talk about that more, but he's coming off of core muscle surgery. He wants to be here doing the camaraderie thing, do, doing the chemistry thing, and and it will help them all a lot. I. I feel like we talked about this last year, but I I still think it's worth bringing up. Um, And, you know, he's not the only quarterback who's doing this, but what message does it send, do you think, that Deshaun Watson, the $230 million man, is there the first day of the offseason program, and he's showing that commitment to to being there? Oh, it's very important. It's absolutely very important. I mean, do you remember the year that, uh, a couple of years ago, when J.C. Treader talked those guys out of coming? Baker, you know, Baker didn't come. I mean, he had people uh, down to Texas, but they were not here for the offseason program. And I know they were following J.C. Treader's lead, but when your quarterback is also doing that, um, that that's not that's really kind of not a, a great look or a great start for your team. A lot of the good teams uh, have full participation, even though the NFLPA does not like the offseason program and incur- discourages guys from attending. Um you hear Andy Reid talk about how important it is. You hear Joe Burrow talk about how important it is to get in for the offseason program. So it seems to me like the good teams really do it and the good quarterbacks take the lead in it. Yeah, I just I just Googled it. Um, you know, like a guy like Patrick Mahomes has like that guy does not need to show up for the offseason program, but he does. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you try to respect the part of it where it is voluntary, but it says something It when when a guy shows up and when that guy is the starting quarterback and that starting quarterback is, you know, the, the richest player on the team, you know, th- these guys could spend their off seasons in Texas or Florida or where, you know, wherever. Um, but they, they come up to Northeast Ohio where it's, you know, freezing cold in April again, or Kansas city where I'm sure it's cold a lot during the spring as well. It just, it does send a message. And, and so I think it's a, it's a good thing that he's been here. So you mentioned Amari Cooper, uh, let's move on to him. And of course, he was one of the big news stories of the day. And it's because he did ultimately decide to have that core muscle surgery uh, that we had been asking him about. I, I know you asked him about it a bunch towards the end of last season, and he, would, he was really coy about it. But he did ultimately decide to get that surgery. Yeah, and he did not want to really get that surgery because I actually think this was his first surgery. I do think I asked him if he's ever had a surgery before, and I think he said no. So um, it's not something he really wanted to do, but um, in the end, I think it will probably be the best thing for him because if he would have 
aggravated that injury again this year, it could have really negatively impacted his season. As it was, he re-injured it or aggravated it at some point with about you know six games, seven games left last season. We don't know all the details because he was kind of quiet about exactly when it first started to bother him. But um, but he uh, wasn't his himself down the stretch. He only had one 100-yard game in his final six games, and uh, he was out there playing in a lot of pain. Now, you got to give him a lot of credit because he wanted to be there for Deshaun, and he wanted to be there for his team. So he played through that pain, but he was not well. He was not himself. Uh, so I put him in that category of guys who are you know, willing to – to play hurt. And that's not always easy. I mean, the core, when you have a core muscle injury, it impacts everything. And you could kind of see that on film that he wasn't running as fast as he normally does. He wasn't really uh, the player that he was in the first, whatever, 11 games of the season. So now he has this thing cleaned up. And I was very delighted to hear that he, um, he had the surgery performed by the preeminent core muscle guy in the United States, Dr. William Myers in Philadelphia. That's where Odell Beckham Jr. went. That's where DeMar Hamlin went to have his surgery. And I'm sure most other guys in the NFL that have core muscle injuries or surgeries end up going to Dr. William Myers because he's the best. So Amari is in his eighth week of recovery. It's about an eight week injury. Now you don't want to go out there and just start, you know, going crazy at eight weeks, but it, you know, it's time for him now to start ramping up into more and more football activity. They'll take it slow with him, but he can do things and it's, and he's ready to get to work with Deshaun. Yeah. And then the good thing is this, you know, they don't really start on field stuff for a couple of weeks and they don't really start, you know, full speed on field stuff until, you know, the middle of May with OTAs and then mini camp. Um, and then, you know, training camp is when it really ramps up to the to the hard stuff. So he's still got time and I'm sure they'll take it easy with him. But, um, the, you know, the only disappointing thing is he didn't get to go to Texas and work with Deshaun Watson at all, obviously uh, recovering from that surgery. But, you know, you, you mentioned it, you touched on it, like he couldn't come back and risk like this is lasting into another season and affecting another season. And, you know, he's still super important, even though they've upgraded that receiving core, he's still the guy. And if Amari's not Amari, that's still a, a significant step down to, you know, Elijah Moore and Donovan Peoples-Jones being your one too. Yeah. I mean, he is their wide receiver number one unquestionably, even though they've got some of these new guys, he is the man for them. He is their Tyreek Hill. He is their Stefan Diggs, right? I mean, he is their Jamar Chase. And, um, you know, I was a little concerned about the fact that I didn't know if he was going to have the surgery because I was, you know, we would see him on a, online practicing boxing. And, and I was like, I'm not sure that's good for <laughs> someone with a core muscle surgery injury. As it turns out, he was getting ready to have the surgery. So again, he's in his eighth week of recovery now. And now I would have to say that I feel way better about the season that he's going to have, knowing that he got that thing taken care of. And he also got it taken care of by the best guy in the business. So he, he's going to have a, a full recovery and I think he will be fine by training camp, but I think they're being smart with it. There's no reason to go out there 
and risk anything at this point. He needs to probably kind of take it easy, even in training camp. So show up for training camp. It starts July 20th this year, earlier than it will for a week earlier than for other teams. Ease your way into it. Don't play much in the preseason games and be ready to go in September. And if there's one thing we know about this team, they're going to, you know, they're not going to push him. We've, we've seen it over and over again. They're going to take it easy on guys in training camp and, and they're not going to overdo it. So uh, he's, he's in a good situation. You know what else I've learned about Amari in our year or so covering him is he does not like to talk about injuries. Some guys mm-hmm. are really open and, and they don't mind talking about it. Amari does not like talking about injuries and surgeries. No, he doesn't. And that's why today, even when I asked him, um, you know, I, I prefaced my question about whether or not he had the surgery with Dr. William Myers uh, by saying, you do not have to answer this if you don't want to, because, you know, there are HEPA laws. He doesn't have to answer that question. I, I just, uh, and I was actually maybe mildly surprised that he did. Um, but um, because he is so private about that stuff, but I just thought it was, it was interesting because, um, you know, I think that get would give, you know, players who are familiar with him or, or teams that are familiar with Dr. Myers or fans or whatever, the knowledge, it's like talking about Dr. Andrews, you know, when you're talking about somebody doing an ACL. Um, so when you know that somebody like that did the surgery, then I think you can be super confident that it's going to work out just fine. But you're right. He does not like to talk about it. And uh, so he was a little short, a little bit short with his answers today. Um, Not as forthcoming as he sometimes is. The other thing I will say is, you know, we don't usually have him up sitting in front of the room at that microphone in front of the room, looking out, seeing rows of reporters and cameras in the back. And, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily lend itself to just a conversational type of interview, right? It's it's not like we were standing at his locker or even standing at the microphone in the locker room that has a little bit more of a, you know, hey, we're in the locker room type of vibe to it. This is a formal setting and not everybody likes to be in that type of environment. So that might've had something to do with it too. Yeah, it's a hard place to, um, you know, you're on a podium and you're elevated and we're all sitting there in rows, like you said, and we've all got our laptops and phones. And like, it's a really, there's a spotlight on you. There's cameras. It's, it, you know, obviously there's cameras on you whenever you do these things. But just to compare it, like my favorite, I mean, my favorite time to talk to guys is during training camp and, you know, during some of these spring practices. And it, that includes the podium sessions because it's usually just a little mic stand and, Sometimes you'll get lucky and there'll only be like three or four of you standing around. And it's just so much more conversational because everybody's just on the same level. Um, and it's it feels so much more formal, even just from our standpoint. Like when you, when you want to ask a question, like you almost feel like you have to like write it out and read it word for word. You, you know, like you can't have any fun with anybody. Yeah. And some guys thrive in that setting. I mean, Miles was up there, you know, yucking it up and performing because he's really good in in that type of setting and he flourishes in that environment. And same thing with Deshaun Watson. He did great up there. He's used to it. He's, He's done it many, many, many times dating back to probably even high school, but for sure college. And so he's been on that big, huge national stage doing that, doesn't mind it. Some guys like it, some guys don't. 
And so, I mean, that could have had something to do with it. Or maybe, once again, it was just the fact that we were talking to him about injuries instead of route running. Maybe if we were just talking route running, he he would have lit up and he would have been fine. Or if we were talking to him about South Florida or something. Um, But we were trying to drag out injury information from him. And generally, uh, guys don't love to do that. Yeah, that's what next time we talk to him, we're going to get like South Florida travel tips. You know, tell us the things to do that the tourists don't do, Amari, and then we'll get some nice long answers. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll look at the defensive side of the ball and talk about the two guys we talked to from that side. And back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, Dan Lobby and Mary Kay Cabot, looking back on the availability we had today in Berea as the Browns kick off their offseason program. Mary Kay, Greg Newsom spoke to us. Uh, probably I said Amari Cooper made the biggest news, but Greg Newsom was probably the most newsworthy just because of the off season he's had, um, talking about playing in the slot. Of course, there was, uh, the erroneous trade request report, uh, from last week. And he, uh, kind of, again, just to start with the trade request was not having it when, when that was brought up, he immediately pushed back on that on Twitter last week. And when it was brought up again today, he did not hesitate to jump in. Um, and, and kind of go back at it. Yeah, in fact, I mean, he went so far as to say that he was mad that it was reported uh, that he asked to be traded. Now, of course, we know that, um, you know, the person who reported that uh, deleted it, apologized to it, apologized for it. And, um, you know, and so that is kind of, you know, buried and gone. Um, but still you have to ask Greg about it. And and he did say that he was mad about it. And, uh, he emphasized that he is, that he loves Cleveland, that this is where he wants to be, that he is, uh, you know, part of the fabric of this community. He, that happened fast. He was fast friends with Cleveland. He really was. I've compared it to Joe Hayden. He's very Joe Hayden in a, in that man about town kind of a way. He is a, a presence at the Cavs games has been ever since day one. And, uh, you know, he's, he's part of this. And I, and I think that uh, it's really important to note that, you know, there's a new sheriff in town in, in Jim Schwartz. And so everything has changed. If, if Greg Newsom was coming back into the defense that he played in last year, in the role that he had last year, which he said he felt more like he was playing linebacker than cornerback, um, then, you know, maybe it would be different. But the fact that he has a new defensive coordinator, a new set of eyes on him, a new set of eyes on the defense, the defensive line is going to be much better. It's already upgraded significantly. That's going to help the guys in the back end. I think there's going to be some versatility amongst the the secondary guys in terms of what they're going to do. I don't think you're just going to have maybe necessarily one designated always nickel back. I don't think it's going to be like that. I think Jim Schwartz is going to want to do what he can to make sure that his stars, you know, his first round picks and and his, you know, big money, big name guys are happy and on board with the program. Because if you get those guys working for you and going in the right direction, everybody follows. It's just one of the basic tenets of coaching that that's how you do it. So I want to read something that uh, Lance Reisland sent us about Greg Newsom today. And, and this kind of gets into what Newsom, I think, was saying today, too, about playing in the slot. So Lance texted uh, you, me, and Ashley 
Newsom should be a great slot corner in Jim Schwartz's scheme. He will not have C, D gap run responsibility. Just a true man nickel guy. Just a true man-to-man nickel guy. Schwartz will really match up personnel against 10 and 11 personnel. Woods did a lot more down and distance stuff with personnel. So I felt like that's kind of what Greg was getting at today, too, when it was brought up playing the slot. That playing the slot in Jim Schwartz's defense is going to be a lot different than what it was playing the slot in Joe Woods's defense. Yeah, and we don't know exactly what Jim Schwartz is going to do with his defense. There will be tendencies, and of course, Lance is laying out some of those there. There will be tendencies of things that he has done on film, but I think he will tailor it to the defensive personnel that he has. And what he's going to find is that he's got a lot of talent back there in the back end. He's got a lot of talent. He's got three starting caliber cornerbacks. Not many teams have that. Uh, He's got very versatile safeties that can that can play sort of a big nickel type of role. I mean, you could probably probably play one Thornhill at nickel back at times. I mean, there are there are plenty of different things that you can do with this with this secondary and I I just think that Jim Schwartz is is a good enough coach that he's going to give good job descriptions to people. You don't want to have a disgruntled first round pick. He's the second first round pick in the Andrew Berry regime. Greg Newsom is, you don't want that guy to, you know, to be unhappy. That that was part of the problem with last year. There were a lot of unhappy defenders. Now you can't make everybody happy uh, with their role. And again, I, I spent time talking to former Philadelphia Eagles defensive coordinator. You know, I had a one a great hour long one-on-one conversation with him on the phone at the Super Bowl doing a super doing a feature story on him. He's from Cleveland, he's from St. Ignatius, uh Jonathan Gannon. We and his whole thing was, you know, I always tell he says, I always tell my guys, it's got to be team number 1 and you number 2. Like whatever we need you to do, the team comes first and then you're number 2, you're second. And I'm sure that Jim Schwartz feels exactly that way too. But I also think that, you know, you you make a lot of friends when you give guys things to do that they feel comfortable with. And last year, there were a lot of disgruntled guys on that defense. There just were. Um, Jadavian Clowney was disgruntled. Uh, John Johnson, three. I mean, he, they weren't verbally disgruntled throughout the season. They weren't, you know, coming out publicly and saying, we don't like this. Um, but there were little rumblings underneath the surface. You would hear things here and there. Um, John Johnson three didn't necessarily feel that his talents were being showcased and that he was always being put in the best positions. Greg felt that way this year. I think that I really do. I think that Jim Schwartz is going to try to make sure that uh, the rushers get to rush, you know, that the good cornerbacks get to play some good man defense. Um, So I I think, I think it's going to be a lot different. Now a guy who's going to benefit from Jim Schwartz a lot is Miles Garrett, and we talked to him today as well. Um, but really what came out of that didn't have as much to do about Jim Schwartz's defense. He did talk about that, but the most entertaining stuff was about the Pro Bowl. And for the second time, Miles Garrett has had to retire from something in the offseason. It was basketball a couple offseasons ago, and this year it is, um, you know, Kevin Stefanski didn't ask him to do it this time, but he has made the decision that he is going to retire from Pro Bowl obstacle courses. Of course, he suffered that dislocated toe 
back in February. I did find it interesting that he sort of admitted today that it's still kind of nagging him, that this toe injury that he suffered in the Pro Bowl games in Las Vegas. I, I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, that was interesting because by now I would have thought that that was not a thing. Uh, but apparently it still is. He said, you know, that's been more annoying to him than actually the shoulder injury that he suffered when he flipped the Porsche multiple times in September. Uh, so that, you know, that's kind of interesting, but he said it never uh, was a thought to have surgery on it. It's just something that will heal on its own. He feels like it will be a hundred percent by training camp, I think, or somewhere along the line. He, he just doesn't think it's going to be an issue once the season rolls around. Um, but yeah, I mean, to have that happen, I mean, isn't that so ironic to go out and to have these pro bowl games and then to have your star player just go down on the field, like he did, it was really a sight to behold and everyone kind of gasped when that happened. Um, but yeah, he's, he's not going to be doing that anymore. No more pro bowl games for miles. And so I did ask him, you know, like, what do you propose? And you have that in your story, you know, what he proposes, for the Pro Bowl games, he had an interesting uh, uh, idea about involving the fans and, you know, playing against the fans. And, you know, I pointed out to him that, you know, they're they're probably going to have some dislocated toes of their own if they try to go up against Miles Garrett in the Pro Bowl games. But he said that would be on them. So it was kind of fun. It was kind of fun to talk to him as 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 we have mentioned here. Uh, he's you know, he's just golden in those settings. Right. I mean, he's just knows how to how to do that. And uh, he did not disappoint. Yeah. Now, now I think the fan idea, there might be some major liability issues there. If, uh, if you throw fans out there with NFL players, but you know what, that's not for me to figure out. Um, but you're right. Miles has sort of learned over the years. I think he was always, I think he was a little hesitant at first, but now he, you know, look, he's comfortable. He's gotten paid. He's clearly the man in that building. Um, I, I think that, he understands the game. You know, Odell Beckham was like that when he was here. You know, he understands when you sit up there and you answer questions, he, he understands like how to make headlines, how to make them the right way, how to help us do our jobs really well, how to get his message out if he has something he wants to deliver. Uh, he's just gotten really good and, and he's really savvy about it. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, he does try to have a little bit of a theme each year and, um, and, and this year, I, I will be writing at some point a little bit more about what his theme was for last year because he didn't actually really reveal it. But I somewhere on one of my tapes, I still have that interview, and I would like to go back and revisit it because people will probably find it somewhat interesting if, uh, if I can find this interview. But anyway, so this year, um, he said that his theme is to have fun. And I think that's good. You know, I mean, he see, you know, after what he went through last year, I'm sure he just has a gratitude for life, really just being so grateful that, you know, that he walked away from that accident, that his passenger walked away from that accident, that he was given another chance at life that could have been, uh, it could have been fatal. I mean, it just, that's just, there's no two ways about it. And if, Short of that, it could have been very, very serious in terms of injuries. And so for him to be to remain unscathed, and all we're talking about is a dislocated toe from a pro from a, the Pro Bowl games, um, you know, that is reason to celebrate. And that is reason to say, 
you know, let's go out and have some fun now. And if he plays loose and free, and he's going to have more help this year along that defensive line. He did not have much help last year at all, okay? I mean, he just really didn't. Uh, He's going to have more help this year, and uh, he should have an opportunity to kind of just let his hair down a little bit and enjoy it. And it, yeah, he seemed very interested to, to kind of get to know Oboe a little better, get to know Dalvin Tomlinson. He talked a little bit about, um, you know, liking the guys that that you're you're playing with. I thought there were some. I don't think there were they were shots necessarily, but I think there were some some callbacks to like how things ended a little bit with Jadavion Clowney, and whether you know Clowney was as team focused as maybe he needed to be uh, to help Miles. So uh, I, I thought there was some interesting stuff in there. Uh, when, when it came to him talking about Jim Schwartz's defense and, and what he wants to do and, and continuing to take on that leadership role. Um, real quick on Kevin Stefanski, the opposite of Miles Garrett does not like to make headlines, does not like to send messages when he sits up at the podium. I guess, I guess Perry on Winfrey was, was one of the biggest topics uh, from what he had to say, or at least what he addressed. And he didn't really have much to add to it. He, made it clear that Perion is still part of the team um, and they're just sort of gathering information at this point. Now we'll hear from Andrew Barry on Friday. I don't know that he'll have much to add, but maybe he'll give us a little more definitive of an answer than Kevin. But I, I guess that was probably the most important thing we needed to ask about. Maybe I'm wrong. Am I, am I missing something? No, I think you're right about that. I think you're right. There were, there were a few highlights that we had to hit. Uh, you know, we recently had Kevin Stefanski out at the owners meetings for a long, long time uh, at the breakfast there. And we covered a lot of ground there. So, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of new stuff. So Perion really was the new news since that time. Uh, again, there wasn't a big update. He didn't have much for us. And I'm sure that he wants to leave that in the hands mostly of Andrew Barry who we, we talked to on Friday, but I don't think Andrew's going to give us very much either. I think they're going to let the legal process play out a little bit. The next thing is a court date on June 1st. So we'll have to see where this is going to go. Um, they're doing their due diligence. They're, you know, they're investigating on their own. And if they, you know, if they get to the point where they feel that, that he needs to take a step back or he needs to do something, then, um, then they'll see to it that that happens. He did have maturity issues last year. So maybe there is a world in which, you know, he takes some time to go take care of whatever he's got going on. We can't diagnose him. We don't know what the deal is. But, um, you know, if he has issues that need to be addressed, now would be the time to do it if you think you can get him back on the field in September. Now is the off season. Now is the time where, Let's go get this all figured out and and see what's going on. And I think it's a team approach. Uh, and I don't mean just the Browns team. I think it's Perion. I think it's his family. I think it's his agents. I think it's the Browns. I think they all need to get together and decide where this is going to go for him. So, um, you know, so that's, that's what they have to do. They have to huddle up and figure out if um, – you know, if he just take, you know, calls a timeout in his career for a little while, the Browns have to figure out if, you know, what he did in this instance or what he's done previously, possibly related to this instance, uh, is enough cause for them to part ways with him. We don't know that yet. Um, but these are all things that have to be figured out over the next couple months. 
And and I mean, at this point, it's been over a week since the arrest. So I mean, there's no there's no reason for them to rush at at this point um, because you know they have the draft coming up next week. They'll add some new players in that process. But it's not like you have this tight 53-man roster that you have to navigate. You've got a 90-man roster. You can kind of navigate your way around it uh, and, and figure things out. So there's nothing really coming that's going to force your hand. But, you know, maybe they draft a guy they like, and, and that's sort of what maybe that pushes them towards a decision. You know, I don't know. I, it just feels like there there isn't anything that's going to change here over the next couple weeks unless they unless they discover something independently uh, that, that makes them – really, really uncomfortable. Yeah. And you know what? And I don't know how you would go about this, but you know, in, in these types of situations, I do think that if there were some way that someone could speak to, and again, I don't know how this would happen. I don't know how this would manifest. I don't really know, but I do think that hearing from the victim or, you know, the, the person who is accusing him of assaulting her you know, I, I do think that sometimes they need to have a voice and they need to have a say. And if there's any way that they can have that, someone connected to them can have a conversation with her. I think that that would be good information to have. All right. So we will hear about hear from Andrew Barry about that on Friday. Again, I wouldn't expect any sort of huge update, but you never know. Maybe he'll surprise us. He'll give us a, a pre-draft press conference on Friday um, at 11 o'clock. So we'll have full coverage of that. If you're not a Football Insider subscriber, we were texting you uh, while guys were actually talking. We were texting you updates from about what they were saying. Uh, so if you want to get involved in that, cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page for the texting, the newsletter, and access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash Browns. And of course, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Uh, Mary Kay, I'll talk to you later. Sounds great.